Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 36 to 47. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were caught to their hearts and said to Peter and other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and, I, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold properties and possessions to give to one another who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of, of all the people. And the, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mercy. Let me pray for us as we start. Lord, we thank you for these words, um, for the Holy Spirit that was poured out, for the church that was born. And we pray that you will pour out your spirit. Help us to resemble um, this church and help us to see you at work this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know that many of you um, might not like this, but as you start, I'm going to start with the pop quiz. <laughs> it's a church pop quiz. I wonder if you recognize these people and their accomplishments. The first one is this person. Can anybody who recognize who this is and what he has done, the greatest accomplishment of this person? This person is a famous architect named Ian Pei. He's perhaps best known for um, uh, being the architect behind the Louvre uh, Museum in Paris, but he also is the architect behind a Bank of China building, so his memorial is enshrined in the skyline of China. And the next person is this person, very famous, Marie Curie, that's right, and she is famous for her research in radioactivity. She's the first person to win two Nobel Prizes. Uh, first woman to w win a Nobel Prize. First person to win two Nobel Prizes. Um, one for physics and one for chemistry. And finally, the third one is this. Hussein Bolt. Um, 9.58 was his 100-meter uh, 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 record. 19.19 uh, is still the record for 200 meters that stands today. I mean, this is how we know people's greatness. 
right, by their accomplishments, the things that they have done throughout their life, uh, isn't it? Uh, we know these people, that they're great people because of what they did uh, during their lifetime. But actually, unlike all these other people, what Jesus is known for is not what he did during his life, although he did great things. What he's primarily known for is his death, how he died, why he died. Last week, we saw how Jesus died and how he said it was for that reason, for this purpose, that Jesus came to the earth to die on the cross. And today, he tells us a little bit more of why he died. He died and rose again to make us new people in him. He died and rose again to make his church, to give us a new family in him. A portion of the Bible that we read today is taken from Acts chapter 2. It's the story of the Pentecost, uh, the story of what happened 50 days after Jesus rose again from the dead. And when Jesus rose again from the dead and before he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, wait here, wait here for the Holy Spirit. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And on that Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit came with a bang. Well, actually, more like a whoosh, the sound of the wind filling the room. And something like tongues of fire descended on each person and rested on them. And when the Spirit came, they got so excited and they started to speak. But the weird thing was they weren't speaking in their own native language. They went out into the streets and they started speaking and they were speaking in different languages. And if that sounds bizarre, it is bizarre. It was bizarre. People back then thought it was bizarre as well. And they thought, actually, they accused the disciples, aren't you day drinking? Why are you drunk in a broad daylight? That was their explanation because it was bizarre. And it was then the chief apostle Peter stands up and he preaches the first sermon recorded in history. And he says to people, you know, Jesus, is this person is... Uh, 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 Sorry, these are the last days, the, the days that the Old Testament was looking forward to when God would send the Holy Spirit upon everyone who would call on him. He spoke to the crowd about God's promise to David, how God promised David that somebody from his line would sit on the throne of his kingdom forever. And then he told, he told the crowd about Jesus how Jesus came from the David's line. And then he died and he rose again. And he is that king sitting on the David's throne, ruling over the world. And so the first uh, line that we read from our reading today, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God had made this Jesus whom you, many of, many of them were there 50 days before, uh, whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. And when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart. They felt all of a sudden guilt. They knew that they hadn't just, just sent an innocent man to the cross, that this person rose again from the dead, and, 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 and that he is the king. And uh, something in their heart was undone. And so they asked, brothers, what shall we do? What should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Do we feel guilt? Um, do, what, what, what are the guilt that you carry around in your hearts? Some of us 
I think, live such busy lives that we don't have time to think about the past and the things that we did wrong. Our lives are too busy at work, at family demands, work demands, with all these demands around us. Who has the time to think about what's going on in our hearts? For some of us, actually, have developed a coping mechanism. A charity is one. You know, Hong Kong people are really charitable. People give a lot of money towards doing good. And that is a thing that is good and encouraged, should be encouraged, but I think some people do it to appease their conscience so that they don't have to think about what's going on in their hearts. They give money to charity, sometimes big amounts, to say, actually, I don't need to think about what's going on here in me. Another strategy to appease guilt is that we compare ourselves to others. You know, with everything else, we compare ourselves up, right? With wealth and status and, you know, whatever, we compare ourselves to people who are above us. But with morality, how well that we are doing as a person, we always compare down, don't we? We say, ah, I haven't done anything really bad. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't uh, killed anybody. I mean, murder, adultery, is that the standard that we should hold ourselves to? But if we spend any time at all, we know that we all carry around guilt that we cannot shrug off on our own, by ourselves. There was this extraordinary article on New York Times this past month on the Minnesota Board of Pardons. Minnesota Board of Pardons. In the U.S., um, I think it's the next slide. Yep. Um, in the U.S., criminals, um, after serving jail, jail time, still, actually, they carry criminal record along with them everywhere, which limits their job uh, options or housing options. And this board hears their cases, and then they, they may grant pardon. What, what it means is to expunge their record clean, to say as if it was nothing happened. A reporter writes, no one can expect mercy. No one has the right to be forgiven. Pardons live beyond the parameters of the criminal's code's black and white text. They are, by nature, extraordinary. It's not a right, but they want it. And so they come begging for it. So people come begging for mercy. One meth, ex-meth ex cook uh, uh, says, do I have to carry this burden for the rest of my life? I just want to be forgiven. I want to be forgiven. I just want to be forgiven. And it's not just him. We all want to be forgiven. We all want our records expunged, made clean. We all want to be a new person, live a new life. That's what we all want. And that's why Jesus came on the cross to pay for our sins. So he died the death that we deserve so he could forgive our sins. His forgiveness is not arbitrary. It's not arbitrary pronunciation of your uh, innocence. Because he paid for it, he can say, you are forgiven. You are no longer responsible for what you have done because I have paid the penalty. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And there's more. We aren't just promised a blank slate. We're promised the Holy Spirit 
the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, God poured out His Spirit in a visible way, but God is pouring out His Spirit to anyone who is calling on Him even today. The Spirit is God's resurrection power working in us, in our hearts, making us more like Him, making us anew, making us holy, righteous. Actually, in the deep down, this is what we want to be, and we don't have the power to be that on our own because we cannot perform a heart surgery on our own. So God sent His Spirit to us, in us, who lives in us, and He changes our hearts. The story is told uh, that the Times of London at one point in early 1900s sent out an editorial, for an editorial, they sent out this question to famous authors. The the question was, what's wrong with the world today? The well-known author back then, G.K. Chesterton, is known to have written one uh, uh, one sentence essay back. Dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? Well, there are too many things to count, but they all start with what's in here, with our hearts. I am is what's wrong with us today. Our hearts are fallen, are far away from God. So many of us want change, but we cannot change. And so God has sent the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross, sent the Holy Spirit to forgive our sins and to uh, send us the power to change from within. And we repent and are baptized. We do an about face. We face from here to there. Our eternal destiny is changed. The way our new, our, our goals are changed. Our priorities are changed. Our desires change because of our relationship with Jesus. As you've heard Victor speak, I mean, his life changed, his heart changed. And so God is working in us, all of us here today, this morning. Some changes happen dramatically overnight. Some changes happen slowly. But God is in the business of making us a new people, new person in Christ. And part of how God changes us is by giving us a new family, new people in him when we're baptized. On that Sunday, 2,000 years ago, 3,000 people were converted. 3,000 people heard the message. They were cut to the heart. They repented and turned to Christ. 3,000 people. And that was just the beginning. Those 3,000 people, wherever they went, they carried the message of Jesus. They started to speak about Jesus in Jerusalem and to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the church is the biggest institution, the organization in the world today because people have been changed by him. And what we see here in this passage is marks of being a true church, true family of Christ. What do they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. I think it's the next verse, yes. They devoted themselves to these three things, apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to um, the breaking of bread and prayers. First, apostles' teaching. These apostles, uh, these disciples were devoting themselves to learning the way of Jesus. These apostles were handpicked by Jesus Christ. They spent time with with, with him uh, for three and a half years, and they didn't have, um, uh, they were devoting themselves to learning the way of Jesus through the apostles' teaching. Now, we don't have the apostles with us, but we have the Old Testament. 
that pointed forward to the coming of Jesus, we have the New Testament, a record of apostles' teaching for us. They devote themselves to learning this new way of life, way of learning, learning um, the way of Jesus. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to each other. And this wasn't just hanging out um, together. Take a look at verses 44 and 45. They shared their possessions together. People sold their houses and fields, as we see uh, in chapter 7 and on. Uh, the people sell things together to give to people who are in need. And this wasn't forced communism. It's not that. When God's Holy Spirit came into their life, their heart was touched in such a way they started thinking, actually, when God blesses me, He blesses me to share with others. If anything is mine, it is mine to be shared with others. They devoted themselves to one another, to fellowship, and also to breaking of bread. And devote themselves to worship. Verse 42 talking about, uh, talks about breaking of bread and prayers. And that breaking of bread is an allusion to communion. Jesus took the bread, broke it, and said, this is my body. Took a cup of wine and said, this is my blood shed for you. And they start worshiping Jesus together. Verse 46, first in the temple courts, but not just in the temple courts. The, the worship spills out to people's homes. Wherever they are, whatever they're doing, they put Jesus at the center. They start remembering again and again what brings them together, which is the sacrifice of Jesus. They start worshiping Jesus. If you think about the church, modern church, a church like ours, it's a sociological improbability, right? Sorry, this is an old photo of um, my links group, my Wednesday. Some people are new and some people have left and things, but I mean, look at this group. In, in many ways, it's an ordinary group. It's an ordinary group of a church meeting that happens around the world every week, every week, week by week. But, I mean, consider the nationalities here. There are people in, our, in my group, there's an American, Hong Konger, French, Nigerian, English, Finnish, Austrian, Korean, Malaysian, one who defies categories. I think Clarissa <laughs> defies categories um, here. There's also an Indonesian and Japanese not pictured. Each week, we share life together. Each week, we share prayer requests about, you know, health and children and uh, th th what's going on at work. Each week, we speak God's word into one another and encourage each other to keep going, to keep serving Jesus. We worship together. We share life together. We devote ourselves to learning the way of Jesus. And this fellowship will uh, last in eternity because when we are baptized into a new person, we're also given a new family a family of God who is devoted to these things. And this church, this church is a preview of a new world that is coming, a world of community without borders, community that has undone all the barriers that we have set up for one another. We think about a community, doing a community. Doing community is really hard. It's, it's always been hard. It's really hard these days, I think. Social media, like Facebook, Instagram, or whatever, I think prevent us from doing community, becoming a real community. Why? Because it makes this false promise that you can have community easily. You can have community on your terms. You can have community without giving yourself to anything, without any sacrifice. 
But communities aren't formed by posting photos or responding in comments or clicking like buttons. The church is formed when we learn the way of Jesus, when we prefer one another's needs over other people's needs over my own, when we learn to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of other people. They're formed when we show up when we don't want to, when we hurt each other, when we don't walk away from one another, but when we forgive each other. The church is formed not by posting photos of our Sunday bests, but being vulnerable one another, with one another in our lowest moments and find that there are people who's committed to loving us just as we are, just as Christ loved the church. church is po- this community is possible in the church because we are new people learning the way of Jesus together. Polarization gets in the way too, doesn't it? nationalism is on the rise. Political polarization, I mean, we experienced this um, during the protests in in 2019 and on, and these different politics have permanently fractured different people and relationships forever. And then there are also the class differences, educational differences, temperaments, they all get in the way. But look around you. Unity in diversity is possible in the church. Why is it possible? Because every single one of us who are Christian consider our identity in Christ the most important thing. Because we are a people who are born again in Christ, and we are now Christians. Apart from everything else, we are first Christians, first and foremost Christians, people who died and rose again. And everything else becomes secondary. Everything else becomes less of an issue than what we hold most dear, Jesus Christ, our identity in Him. We have received the grace of Jesus. We're born again in Him, and we become a family in Him. Of course, we're far from perfect. um, We're far from perfect. My previous boss used to say, if you find a perfect church, don't join it because you will ruin it. No, no church is perfect because no person is perfect. But we are a new people in him. We are a new community, new family in him because what we hold most dear is Jesus and his grace poured out upon each of us. And so if you're a visitor today, I hope you feel a sense of the Holy Spirit moving among us in Chatin Church. I hope you'll come back. Join us next week. We have a workplace Sunday to talk about what it means to work for God's glory. I hope you'll come back and join us for Christmas services. Christmas is coming up. Come and explore who Jesus is over Christmas. And tell the people who invited you that if you want to find out more, that you want to find out more, then we'll start a Christianity Explore course for you. We're planning one in January. And today, I hope in the service, and downstairs as we eat together. Through our imperfect community, I hope you will see a perfect community that is coming in the future. I hope you'll get a glimpse of that. I hope you'll want that for your life. And for those, for those of us who are already called, who already call ourselves Christians, would you thank God once again for the work of the Holy Spirit in you, to making us anew, to giving us this family, and would you devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayers. And the Lord will add to our number daily those who are being saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Shatin Church is just one among many, many churches around the world that's meeting. That is a sociological improbability, how we can come together and not just be a loose association, but family in Christ. We thank you that that is your work, your work in the Holy Spirit. And we pray now as people of God that we'll devote ourselves to building your kingdom, building your people and for those of us who are exploring, that they would continue, they would keep going, that you would open their eyes, that you would make them anew, that you would help them to join um, a new family here or elsewhere in your family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.